0: Hello, I'm Hans Lee from Livewire Markets, and you're tuning into Signal or Noise, the podcast. Each episode, I'm joined by Australia's top macro minds to explain how you can make money from a top-down perspective. If you're confused by the data or a little lost in the headlines, this show is for you. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to our show and the Livewire Markets and Market Index websites, and a reminder that everything you're about to hear is information only and not advice. So with that said, let's go. Hello, and welcome to the Signal or Noise property show for 2023. In the last 18 months, we've had rates increase in this country by 425 basis points. And yet, prices are not only going down, but they have rebounded to pre-COVID levels. Building approvals and migration continue to move in opposite directions, and the rental crisis continues to worsen in both urban and rural Australia. So where do we go from here for the property market? Let's ask three people who should know our panel. Chris Benningfield is a principal and portfolio manager at Key Global Investors. We're delighted to have Eliza Rowan as well, CoreLogic's head of Australian research. And naturally, Deanna Messina, deputy chief economist at AMP, a series regular, and someone with always one eye on the property market. Hello to you all. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. So, listen, I thought we'd start this episode with a quote to get things going. It actually comes from Andrew Schwartz at Qualitas, who was just speaking to our very own Sarah Ellen not too long ago. So, Sarah asked Andrew a question about where he thinks we are in the property cycle. And this is the response that he gave. And if you are watching the video, you can obviously read this at the same time as I am. Quote, I don't think it is often in your investing career that you see a market dynamic where you have very low vacancy rates, exceedingly high demand, supply side delays in terms of new products, which won't change quickly, and high levels of immigration. For us, that really gives rise to an investable asset class which we have significant comfort around. And he goes on to say that he thinks we're at the start of the next cycle. So that's going to be the tee off for the question. Do you think Andrew is right or wrong and why? And Chris, I might throw that to you first.
1: Um, I guess it's hard to disagree. Um, the, the, the fundamentals appear to be very strong in terms of residential property. Uh, all of those points are correct. I think the, the big issue is supply. Um, we, we have obviously immigration, we have a lot of demand coming from immigration and also natural household formation, but right now um, it's very, very hard to make supply stack up. It's very hard to build for profit right now. Um, what that tells us is prices are below replacement cost. So as an investment asset class, it's, it's got a lot of compelling features. The one thing I would say is it's probably better to buy existing than to build. Um, because the pricing is better.
0: Okay, all right. So Eliza, what do you think?
2: I think it kind of depends how you measure the cycle as Mm. well, because I think you could argue that from the value of residential real estate in Australia, uh, that bottomed out in January and has been increasing. Uh, It's risen about 7% through the year to date. Uh, Home values are now nearly back at record highs. Uh, And in that sense I guess you could argue that that's the start of of the cycle. Transactionally we're seeing this as uh, what we might call a uh, thinly traded upswing in the sense that there's um, a difference between the rising value and transaction volumes. So transactions have kind of just sidelined Uh, which kind of makes sense in a high interest rate environment, even if there's a lot of fundamental demand for property, doesn't mean that everyone can participate in this market with where prices are and where interest rates are. So I would say it's probably going to be either a reduction in serviceability assessment, um, a reduction in the cash rate, or maybe a pickup in consumer sentiment that would increase that transaction volume. Uh, and I don't really see that happening towards the end of the year, given we've had the November rate hike uh, and seasonally we'll see fewer transactions towards the end of the year.
0: Deanna, what are your thoughts?
3: Well, I think he's missed a key uh, feature of the market, which is what Eliza was pointing to interest rates. I mean, this is ultimately the major cost that determines the price that you should be paying for a home. I mean, yes, there are all these other factors going on, like a tight a tight supply of housing. But in my eyes, it's difficult to be convinced that we're about to see a rebound in home prices when the cash rate is at its highest level that it's been in more than 10 years. We've got the fastest tightening cycle that we've had since about the early 90s. And uh, there's the risk of more rate hikes from here. And we haven't even yet seen the full impact of those rate hikes flow through to the consumer. It makes me quite nervous actually about the outlook for home prices next year. Uh, at AMP, we think that home price growth will probably be at about 5% next year, which I think is around consensus now. But the risk, in our view, is to the downside.
0: Yeah, right. Interesting. Okay. So you've got a whole plethora of opinions there. So Andrew mentioned all those factors. We talk about high demand from new migration, supply-side delays, incredibly low vacancy rates. So for the rest of the show, our three topics are really going to revolve around those topics. Let's start with immigration. The Albanese administration has set a target of building 240,000 new homes a year for the next five years. But at the current, sh- current rate, excuse me, as this chart will show you from the ABS, we are on track to build less than 200,000 homes a year. And it's not only that as well, building approvals have come off significantly. Let's rotate charts to this next one, because the latest data has approvals declining by something in the order of about 5% year on year, when it obviously needs to be increasing, and approvals are actually running at more than 40% below their 2021 peak. So, here's the big question that we wanna tackle everybody. Do you think these charts, these data points, does it signal that Australia's housing supply goals are unrealistic? Or do you think it's noise because we'll actually reach those goals? And Eliza, I'll throw that to you one of this first. Signal or noise?
2: I guess it's noise. I mm-hmm. think it doesn't seem very feasible where we are at the moment, given high interest rates are keeping those approvals low. Um, you've got labour shortages in the construction space, which has n- meant a bit of a build up in, in the pipeline of work to be done. And of course, construction costs are very elevated. Um, CoreLogic estimates that since the start of COVID, the cost to build a detached house is up about 25% nationally. But in some components like steel, for example, it's up around 50% from, from mm-hmm. the start of the pandemic. Um, the, the most homes we've built in a five year period is about a million and 80 homes. And it was in that very different context, um, the five years to December 2019, where you had structurally lower interest rates over time, a big investment boom, particularly in the apartment space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was overall much more conducive to more dwelling supply. So I think it's a good stretch goal to have and we definitely should be focusing on the supply side um, to alleviate some of the cost pressures in the housing market, Uh, but it
1: it doesn't seem very feasible at the moment.
0: Okay, all right. Um, Chris, I'll toss this one to you next. What do you think, signal or noise?
1: Probably a bit of both if I can sort of hedge my bets. Um, (laughs) the The way we think about real estate generally, residential, specifically is that prices oscillate around replacement cost over time and so interest rates in the very short term can sort of send you know sentiment one way or another but eventually prices have to get to replacement cost or you can't build the maths just doesn't work and as a nation for right or for wrong we've just we've outsourced housing supply to the private sector Um, and the private sector will only build when there's profit and uh, picking up on the point that was just made about building costs um, that's what drives housing prices at the end of the day. If, if the feasibilities don't work, developers are not going to put $100 into a project to get $90 out. No one does that. And so you'll continue to get constrained supply. The Albanese government's not in control. It's, we've outsourced housing to the private sector. We, but it's, not a government, it's not a government decision. If we really want to build 250,000 houses a year plus, The answer is very simple, drop rates to zero, drop rates to zero, get house prices up to replacement cost or better, and you will attract the capital and the labour and the resources to build. But we've got economics upside down in this country. We think that interest rates are here to constrain inflation, Raising interest rates constrains inflation, all the evidence points to the opposite. Um, And we see that in housing, we see higher interest rates. House price, house approvals have collapsed. The Albanese government's promising houses they're never going to deliver. Rents are squeezing um, and rents will continue to squeeze until prices get back to replacement cost and then the private sector will take over again. We can do it the hard way or the easy way. We can have rents double from where they are and get the development cycle happening. Or the RBA can cut rates, get prices up quickly and get the supply response.
0: Okay. so. Taking then all your comments on building costs and what the RBA could do but it may not want to do or it certainly has signalled what it not wants to do for a while, do you say then, is, is it a, is, do you err more towards a signal then in the context that are the supply goals unrealistic specifically? We'll get there. We'll get there? We'll get there. Okay. But it's
1: a question of how we get there. We right. can get there after rent's double. If we keep interest rates where they are now, um, we're just going to have less and less being built. Mm-hmm. We're going to have rents go higher and higher yep. until the yield on developments gets to 8, 9, 10%. And then the developers will go, right, well this will make sense. We'll get there. The question is whether we do it with rents doubling or do yep. we cut interest rates and start it now.
0: So I, I get both of those points then. Deanna, where do you sit on this?
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, short term, I'm going to say it's a uh, it's a signal yep. that uh, the supply goals are unrealistic. Okay. And in the long term, I'm going to say that um, those charts around very low building approvals and low construction is noise. That Mm. we um, we can eventually uh, reach those supply targets, but it will take time. In the short term, the thing that worries me most uh, is that you don't have, you never have, tend to have high construction at a time when interest rates are being increased or when the cash rate has risen to a multi-year high, so it's completely understandable why the building approval numbers are so low. In the longer term, I think that the government, I probably disagree with Chris a little bit, that the, the government does have a big role to play in my eyes around releasing more land, allowing the approval process to be faster those are the key areas that i see the government contribution being in terms of helping some of these supply issues and working with the state governments in 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 trying to alleviate some of the issues around unlocking that land and then also building the right infrastructure to go Mm -hmm. to uh, outside of the capital cities because the big problem is that people want to live in the capital cities not in the regions but Living in the regions is problematic if you work in the capital cities because you don't have the right infrastructure So that's where I see the role of the government as well.
2: Yeah, I would like to just add to that as well yeah. the um, Development, you know, the industry associations like the UDIA for example They're actually quite optimistic about trying to build up supply, but because of the short-term constraints they, they keep describing this idea of a um, you know a hockey stick or whatever where mm. Um, I guess utilizing more action or concession from government then that, they may be more incentive to deliver supply.
0: Yeah, okay. Chris, what do you say then to what Deanna was saying about you know the government having no control or? You,
1: you 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 can you can entitle as much land as you want. Mm-hmm. Do it all day long. No one's building for a hundred dollars to get ninety dollars back. We're getting builders are going broke across the country. You can't open the fin review. At, you know. Uh, what, any day we are finding another builder going down. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Because the maths just doesn't work. The issue, when we talk about land, there's, there's elements of land. Are we talking about in globo land? Are we talking about service land? Are we talking about land on the dingo fence? We're we talking about land in urban inbuilt areas. They're all kind of different points, but the approval data is telling us something. It's telling us the numbers don't work. Mm-hmm. We went from over 250,000 dwellings under construction During COVID, when interest rates were very low, prices were above replacement cost, there was an incentive to build and we built and we got the approvals and people got going. Nothing's changed in the approval process. What's changed is the RBA has said to the market, stop building. Mm -hmm. Stop building because that's the way the RBA wants to control the economy. And so we've got approvals falling off a cliff, not because it's necessarily easier or harder to get the approvals, it's the numbers don't work.
3: And and, and
1: builders collapsing tells us the story. But
3: also the government um, was giving people incentives to to build homes during the pandemic with their their build to rent schemes. That was the major reason for why I saw the big increase in um, building approvals, because people had a financial incentive to go and do it. You don't have that anymore.
1: And you've had building costs go up a lot. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I was actually going to ask that just to wrap up this topic. Deanna, we were talking about the RBA just then. What effect the RBA has had on the housing price cycle? Some people would say, well, how much is it really if we're already back to, you know, seeing 7% gains so far this year? But I'd argue that's probably the effect that it has had on the housing market. It's made those replacement costs, those building co- new building costs, so much more.
3: Well, it has been a strange cycle, though, because I don't think mm. anyone was expecting uh, a home price growth to end the year at 10%. Uh, yeah. Most people were thinking that we'd have 15 to 20% fall in prices, peak to trough. I remember thinking if the cash rate got to above 4%, you know, we'd see 20% falls in prices. The biggest surprise to me this year has been immigration, that we're running uh, immigration levels of 550,000, even above that 2.7% annual population growth. That's a record high for Australia. And that's led to this massive squeeze in supply that has helped prices to reaccelerate. And I think uh, also people in Australia uh, have this sense that there is a bit of FOMO, they don't want to miss out on any potential gains in, in, in home prices because they've seen previous cycles where you've seen prices run, run ahead very quickly.
0: Who doesn't love a good FOMO property trade? That's a very Australian story. And it's been replaced by fora. And it's placed, been replaced by fora, which is what, sorry? Fear of renting again. There you go.
1: So people that have bought a house, mortgage rates have gone up, they're being squeezed. Um, what's their alternative? Sell their house, ditch their deposit, go back into the rental market where they're facing 20% per annum growth. So there's that side of the equation which is holding the market up.
0: Yep, right, Um, Chris, I'll get you to chime in then on this next topic. Uh, Chris also looks at commercial property as much as residential property. And it has been a, a difficult year for REITs and REIT share prices, I guess. Everything from solvency issues to increased building costs and supply chain difficulties, of course let's quickly consider this chart which compares the Australian 10-year bond yield to the ASX real estate index and the global REIT index. Now, as yields have climbed on government bonds around the world, the shares of real estate stocks have fallen. But Chris, I want to really direct this at you. Do you see any signal for why REIT share prices will rebound next year? Or is it noise?
1: Well, I don't know about the index. We're up 12% this year. So um, it's really identifying those opportunities where there's a supply and demand mismatch. There is a um, a very sort of quick analysis where people go, well, interest rates are up, must sell REITs. Um, like, interest rates are up, residential property prices are gonna fall, and it and doesn't always work out that way. And if you identify opportunities where there's a demand and supply mismatch, um, you can find opportunities. So, we're just talking about the Aussie residential market. It's probably worth noting that in the United States, house prices in the US are at all-time highs as well. Um, at Canada, house prices are rising in Canada. They've got. They're up 400 basis points in interest rates as well. We're seeing house prices turn around in Europe. Um, There is a big demand supply mismatch because at the end of the day, um, prices uh, have to get to replacement cost, otherwise you never build again. And if you identify opportunities and geographies where populations are growing and usage is growing, um, prices find their way back to replacement cost, either through central banks cutting rates. They're not doing that this time around. So we're seeing it through rental growth. and so when you're looking for those opportunities, you just look for those demand supply mismatches, avoid where there is excess supply and too little demand, and there are still great opportunities out there, even in a rising interest rate environment.
0: Okay, so I take it you do think then that there are signals that rich share prices can come back next year?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Like. Yeah. as I said before, if you think what I was saying before about residential, the same is commercial. The old model in commercial real estate was you build a box for $100, you get $5 of rent out of it. That was the deal. And that made sense. And then when you had a crisis like COVID or the GFC and the central banks cut rates to zero, the developers would come along and say, well, we can now build a box for $100. We'll be happy with $4 out of it because the rates are lower, which is why low interest rates are actually deflationary. Um, now, you've got a situation where no one's building a box unless they're getting ten dollars out of it. And so, what we're seeing around the world globally now is pins down when it comes to supply and we are seeing rental squeezes. What we're seeing in residential in Australia is the front of the curve of what we will see globally if, if interest rates stay where they are because whether it's self-storage, whether it's hospitals, whether it's um, life science, uh, logistics, office building, shopping centres. No one's building a box for $100 to get $5 of rent out of it anymore. They're not going to do it until it gets to 10. And so what does that mean? It means rents are going to grow and they're going to grow quite a lot if rates stay where they are. Yeah. And that's the opportunity.
0: Yeah, if rates stay where they are. Speaking of rentals, obviously rent has been such a massive part of this conversation today because, well, fear of renting again, people who are renting. Let's talk about rental vacancy rates if we can. And <laughs> I was going to say, this is actually a subject we covered on last year's property show, but it's gotten worse, so we have to talk about it again. Nationally, residential vacancy rates continue to crater. The trend continues to point lower. And if we put this chart up from SQM Research, you can see how much it has cratered. Asking rents, incidentally, also continue to increase by double-digit percentages nationally. And that feeds through into the rent portion of inflation and the inflation read specifically. So is this the chart which signals that Australia's rental crisis has nowhere to go but worse, and Deanna, signal or not.
3: In the short term, I'm going to use this again: signal that I sure. think the, <laughs> that I think rents will continue to to rise in the short term. There is a divergence between CPI rents and asking rents. So CPI rents lag what happens in the new rental market. If you just went out right now to try and get a rental unit or or a house. Uh, Those have been running above the CPI rents, which are around 8% year on year. Some of the asking rents are looking like they've topped out a bit, particularly for houses. Unit rents are still uh, quite elevated, Eliza might have more to say than that because they have really good index. Uh, And when I look at some of the vacancy data, the rental vacancies sort of look like they've bottomed out. In most capital cities, I mean, there are divergences across different states in Australia, but they do look like they've bottomed out a bit. In the short term, migration is still very high, but it also looks like it's going to slow in the next one to two years. We're not not going to be able to continue running 500,000 plus immigrants a year into Australia. Mm. I think next year's migration intake will be much lower and that should support some softer growth in rents in 2024 and and, um, onwards. Yeah, But in the short term, it will still remain very hard.
0: Yeah. Eliza, let's just pick up on what Deanna said. What does your data show? Will the rental crisis actually get worse? Signal or noise?
2: Yeah, definitely agree. I think this is a signal in the short term and that's evidenced by the lack of supply in the rental market. We're recording this record low vacancy rate of 1.1% for October. Uh, The growth in rents though has persistently slowed since uh, in the regions, it's been slowing since 2021. In capital cities, it's been slowing since um, uh, really late last year. And again, this is a reflection of some of the different drivers of the rental market where the return of overseas migration skews to rental demand, but particularly in Sydney, Melbourne and sub-markets like Parramatta, um, City and Inner South, in southwest of Sydney and and um, in the Melbourne suburbs, and those markets have seen about eighteen percent growth in rents um, since we opened our borders back in July to vaccinated and, and non-vaccinated arrivals. Mm. So uh, I think that it's a very diverse market in terms of where the rental pressures will persist, but I think that we're probably on the downhill in the sense that the, the pace of growth has got to slow mm. and again that's going to be further accelerated by a reduction eventually in, in interest rates yeah. um, and probably a demand reaction as well. We know that a lot of the reduction in average household size through the pandemic came from share houses breaking
0: up. Mm.
2: You'd have to assume that sharehouses are going to reform to help alleviate
0: those rental costs as well. Well, that's what Phil said. Everybody go find a roommate or a housemate. Or Chris, if you've got a strong opinion on this, feel free to jump uh, in. No, r-
1: reverse, reverse household formation is the release valve. Um, right, okay. And so I think you only will see that if you see a rise in unemployment. Um, I think so long as, I don't, you know, maybe personal experience, when you sort of move out and you live by yourself for a little while, it's very hard to move back but I think if financial circumstances warrant it, that's what will happen and that's the release valve. You're right, Phil Lowe said that. That's what they're hoping, that he wants to reduce everyone's standard of living to meet his goal.
2: There's an interesting demand side um, release valve as well when you consider the taxation of property, for example, and I think about land tax and um, you know downsizes and things mm. like that. When we talk about um, the standard of living deteriorating, over time there's been more and more Um, two-person households living in dwellings where there are four or more bedrooms. So your empty nesters have become more common over time, which is also, aside from the exacerbated decline through COVID, has also kind of structurally reduced average household size over a longer period of time. So we need the retirees
3: to really sell their home. We do. And I would
2: argue that... And that would release a lot of supply. Yeah.
0: It's amazing, isn't it? (laughs) No, I mean, it's true. And people who have second and third homes, I mean, that's a, that's the, the whole other conversation as well about whether they want to release their homes. Talk about empty homes, right? Be, be, uh, well, homes they, which are, and I we mean. need
1: those big homes. Yes. Those two people rattling around in the four-bedroom homes, we need to turn them into semis or mm-hmm. into apartments. Totally. Again, the maths doesn't work. hmm So we can we can have that debate, but we need house prices much much higher. As painful as it sounds, we yeah. need them much higher before developers get on the tools and start building.
0: Okay. Thank you one and all. Let's move on to our Charts to Watch segment. Surprise, surprise, all of these charts are going to be property oriented. We've already had a very robust debate. Let's have a look at three more charts which will help further that debate. Deanna, let's start with you and we'll come full circle on that migration topic we were talking about earlier. Talk us through the chart that you've brought us specifically.
3: Well, I suppose we've already sort of covered this. Uh, It's just showing you the level of overseas arrivals for permanent and long-term migration, long-term is for those who come for more than 12 months. That's when you're included in the in the population stats, and it shows you that those numbers are running about 550,000 year on year. Actually, there was an update on this data yesterday. I'm sorry, I didn't send you a revised. That's all chart, right. But and it it's does, now what's roughly. It's uh, flat. Uh, Right. pretty much flat compared to last month but then when you what this chart doesn't include is some of the temporary arrivals so temporary are those that um or short term i should say for mm-hmm. those that come for less than 12 months once you include that and you just think about the people growth in this country is probably running at close to 800 or nine hundred thousand a year when you include some of those shorter term arrivals mm. and even if you're here for less than 12 months well you still need somewhere to live Uh, most likely, unless you're here for a short-term holiday. So that just adds to more of that supply, which is what makes me concerned uh, that in the short term prices will probably keep going up unless we get unless people start getting worried about interest rate hikes again and and why rents in the short term will will go up as well.
0: All right, thank you for that. Chris, let's take a look at your chart. Obviously we were talking about REITs earlier and the pricing action in that part of the market. Let's talk about this chart. So we're talking about US house prices versus a a specific stock here, you've got AMH. Um, Tell us about this chart.
1: Yeah, imagine, you know, the frustration in Australia is people can't buy a house, they find it very expensive. Imagine if you see a house sells for $800,000 and then you get a chance, agent says to you "You can buy one right next door for $650,000. No bidding, just yours, just put in the price you can get it. You jump at that chance. Mm. Well, that's what this chart, chart is showing you. AMH, American Homes for Rent, is a, is a listed REIT and because it's a REIT, everyone sells it because of interest rates, whatever. Sure. Um, b- but it owns 60,000 houses in the United States, already built, not a developer, right? These are homes, standalone, freestanding houses, 97% lease, the rents are growing at around 6 7% per annum. Professionally managed. Um, so the chart, the dotted line on that chart shows what the direct market's doing in the U.S. So, like the CoreLogic equivalent, it's Zillow, the Zillow house price series in the United States. It's not as good as the CoreLogic series, <laughs> but it's pretty, oh, but, it's, but, it's, but it's but it's pretty pretty accurate. It's it's it's, it's good data, and um, and the chart shows American Homes for Rent sort of tracks around that index very closely over a long period of time, as you would expect, right? Because it, it owns houses. And right now, it's at 20, 30% discount. And so, you know, it's one of those opportunities where it's a REIT, REITs aren't really well liked generally because of the, you know, people worry about interest rates and whatnot. But here's a really good example where you can actually buy into a very, very strong housing market in the United States. Rents are growing quite quickly. We think the US market is short six to seven million houses roughly, haven't really recovered after the GFC. Um, And when you buy the stock, it's all going to be, these houses are going to be professionally managed for you, Um, you'll have liquidity, you're not paying stamp duty in, you're not paying agents fees on the way out and you're getting in 20 to 25 percent below where the physical market is. And if you're a long term investor and you're not worried about the day to day mark to market, those opportunities are available globally.
0: Okay, thank you for that. So that's, that's AMH. I was going to say, I don't know there's an, an Australian equivalent no, or an asoclicit no. equivalent. No, All right. So that's AMH for people who have access to the global markets. Thank you, sir, for that. Eliza, let's finish things up with you. We were talking about rates and the effect it's had on property prices. Walk us through the chart you brought us.
2: This is a bit of a classic. It's the uh, change in the home value index, so our flagship measurement for um, property values, where we're considering the Australian resi market as if it's one giant portfolio. So this is the rolling 28-day change in the combined capital cities market. And I think this rolling um, 28-day change is nice to illustrate the sensitivity of the market to interest rates Um, While we've been in upswing since February this year, there was a marked downward shift in that upswing and the trajectory of growth from the June rate rise, which I think is the rate rise that kind of surprised markets and and consumers first. Um, Coming into November, I would expect to see that growth rate continue to slow down. It continues to be a very diverse market across the different capital cities where Brisbane, Perth and Adelaide are still running at about over one percent per month but for the more expensive markets of Sydney and Melbourne where stock levels are also more normalized those growth rates continue to soften
0: okay so <laughs> to follow up then on that and put it all together if you're wanting to buy a house now and if you're talking about that softer growth trend do you take advantage while it's a softer growth trend is that what you saying? Yeah,
2: I think that um, for those who can, obviously with interest rates yeah. where they are, it's it's going to be wealthier buyers, higher income buyers that are participating in the market. Um, but I think the weakness in consumer sentiment, high interest rates, it, it's going to slow down growth in Sydney and Melbourne. So there could be uh, more of a buyer's market mm. uh, in those cities in particular.
0: Okay, interesting. That's it. That's Signal or Noise, the property show. It's a great show every year and we love doing it. And thank you for joining us. We thank our panel as well. To Eliza Owen at CoreLogic, thank you very much. Chris Benningfield at Key, thank you very much. And Deanna Messina at AMP, always thank you very much. We are back next time with our final show of the season, if you can believe it. We're looking at the key issues that dominated markets in 2023 and looking ahead to some of the key issues that may dominate markets in 2024. Until then, thank you for watching.